0: This is Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand, Part 5 of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Brigid, Chapter 10, Professor Malfoy. The version of the Room of Requirement that Hermione requested looked almost exactly like it had all through sixth year, with Draco struggling to make the vanishing cabinet work. The only difference was the presence of anti-dark magic sensors. Rude and various books. Hermione was thrilled to see them, and immediately pulled jinxes for the jinxed down to read. After all, she did have half an hour before the others were supposed to arrive, but then she hesitated, put it down, and turned to Draco with that look like she had something to say he wouldn't like. When she said they had to talk about Harry, he assumed it was about the conversation in front of Honeydukes over who fancied who, "'and Hermione's continued unspoken but stubborn conviction "'that Harry and Draco were in love. "'But she had an even more disturbing request to make of him, "'one he was hardly equipped to deal with "'when already struggling with the room. "'He'd been cocky about it before entering, "'but all his time being fine in it "'had been in the small, obsidian, egg-shaped dueling room, "'not in this larger room of requirement proper.' That had sent his pulse racing in a way that had him gulping down both the draughts of peace he had on hand. He still was convinced he could smell something burning, or the flesh of something burned long ago, and left in the heaps of discarded things all about the cavernous room. Something in him said Vince's body was there, though he had just spent two hours yesterday yelling at him during Quidditch practice— to stop hitting the bludgers at Greg and ineptly flirting at Millie, instead of trying to stop the chasers in their scrimmage. Those large notebooks with all the invisible ink, Hermione began. You have at least a dozen of them, don't you? And you told me once that one of them is all about occlumency. Draco regretted even explaining to Hermione what occlumency was. The last thing he needed right now was to think of that subject and be reminded how he had learned it, why and with whom. Yeah, I have plenty of notebooks. One of them is just about blood magic. You think that means I'm any good at that, or I've ever used it? Okay, terrible example. Harry, she whispered, looking around to make sure no one was coming in. Has been having terrible nightmares since the graveyard. You know that, don't you? And it's not just that. He's been getting these... these flashes. He wouldn't want me to tell you, but... He's been having flashes of strange feelings, aggressive ones, from outside of himself. And when his scar hurts sometimes, he can he can feel what the Dark Lord is feeling. This time it was anger. Are you sure that's not just him being depressed and blaming it on old Snakeface? Draco quipped, and Hermione silenced him with a disapproving look. Draco sat down beside her on the pillows set out on the floor. "'picking one up to chuck at her, "'but her still grave face showed him she was in no mood for games. "'Before it was happiness, in Umbridge's office, "'so it definitely wasn't Harry feeling it,' she said crossly. "'Something about his connection to the Dark Lord "'deepened after what happened in that graveyard. "'I think it must have something to do with the blood-magic ritual, "'and there's no telling that connection doesn't go both ways.' "'It did send a shiver through Draco.' The thought of Voldemort having watched Harry give Draco a pep-talk after Slytherin Quidditch tryouts were a bust, or, more seriously, watching Harry make a start at assembling Dumbledore's army. "'What do you want me to do about it?' Draco complained, and wilted at the look she gave him. She really wasn't taking any of his bullshit these days, not when it came to something as important as the war to come.' Okay fine I guess maybe occlumency could help who knows though this connection could operate on an entirely different plane of reference but what you want me to get him books on it or something because it's not like I can teach him why not hermione protested looking around again before whispering you helped him with dueling and without that he wouldn't have survived against the dark lord in that graveyard She ignored Draco's attempts to tell her that trust him, Harry definitely would have, and grabbed at his hand with real fear in her eyes. "'He needs you, Draco. It's not good for him. Having the Dark Lord in his head, I think it's changing him. Or haven't you noticed how different he's been this year?' "'He's been more angry and depressed,' Draco said, rolling his eyes. "'Because he's been through some shit.' He feels guilty. The Dark Lord is back. He blames himself. Half the school thinks he's an axe murderer Dumbledore is ghosting him. Umbridge has it in for him. O.W.L.'s are coming, and he's not ready at all. And, oh, yeah, the person he likes won't reciprocate his... his attachment, which is exactly why he doesn't need me all up in his head.' Hermione gave him the most judgmental look. I don't know how it works, Draco, but honestly, romantic feelings, whatever they are, they really don't matter right now. What matters is the threat of the Dark Lord. Everything else is just background noise. Their friends began showing up first, Ron and Luna and Neville, exclaiming how much bigger Draco had conjured this room than the one for their duel. Then the guest of honour himself appeared, and then it was Gryffindor's incoming and other houses. Perfect attendance, after Draco made a stack of his Polaroids and put each in another stack once their owner arrived. Enough of them oohed and aahed over the room that it became too much trouble to try and explain to each one, no, he hadn't personally created this room, just showed it to the others. If it made everyone feel better to think Draco that powerful, let them. Draco got up, but lounged against a wall in the back of the group once Hermione called the meeting to order. Everyone gave obligatory compliments to the room, and then Hermione insisted they officially elect a leader. Draco lazily raised his hand to vote Harry along with the rest, and then the name came up. Cho Chang suggested Defence Association, DA for short, as an acronym to keep it all secret, but it was Ginny Weasley's idea to suggest they make it stand for Dumbledore's army. "'Because that's the Ministry's worst fear, isn't it?' she said, and earned a big laugh. Draco raised his hand numbly for the suggestion, along with everyone else. And just like that, they were all nominal soldiers in an army. He didn't know why he felt so low, just because Ginny was the one to pick that fateful name. It had been inevitable that sooner or later Ginny would come into more prominence, start doing things to gain Harry's attention.' with this surely the first of many, as he fell in love with a girl who conveniently made the Weasleys his in-laws and Ron his brother. And Draco belonged in the background for that, letting whatever bizarre infatuation for a Malfoy that Harry had mistaken for love wash away, and to give Harry the real thing with this pretty clever girl. Draco could have laughed until he cried when their first task was, naturally, pairing up with each other and practising Expelliarmus. "'Neville looked towards Luna, but she had already trotted over to Draco. "'Neville ended up with Harry instead, "'which at least guaranteed Harry should have the chance "'to demonstrate a successful disarming spell before Neville could stop him. "'Except there was no demonstration, bizarrely enough. "'Harry just told them to have at it. "'Wait, Luna!' Draco hissed, "'as she was in the process of raising her wand. "'I'm going to get you, Draco,' she called joyfully. "'If you disarm me,' Draco hissed, "'this is important, Luna. "'Just leave it. "'Don't touch it or it will burn you. "'I'll pick it back up myself. "'Levitate it into your pocket if you want to keep it. "'I don't want your hand getting burned like Uncle Sirius's did.' "'Okay,' Luna said. "'Expelliarmus!' "'Draco's wand flew neatly towards her "'and she stopped it in the air rather than touch it. "'As Draco had suspected,' She was already beyond the magical level of this club, at least at the start. Draco was as well, and the hardest thing for either of them was just making sure Luna remembered not to touch Draco's wand. Around them, though, it was chaos, so much so that it was hard to be reminded of the vanishing cabinet or fiend fire anymore. There were so many children around, preparing for war and yet not understanding what that meant, As red sparks and wands flew everywhere and Mm. laughter hung in the air like a counter curse to whatever darkness awaited them. A highlight was when Neville caught Harry unawares and managed to disarm him. I did it! Neville exclaimed. I've never done it before! I did it! Good one, Mm. Harry said, and set Neville taking turns to practice with Ron and Hermione so he could go around inspecting the progress of all of the pairs. Good one, Neville! Luna called brightly making Neville turn and stare. When Ron's disarming spell hit Neville, he fell right over. Harry seemed reluctant to come up to Draco and Luna, but eventually sidled over, after hitting every other pair at least twice. "'Hey,' Harry said with an awkward little wave. "'Listen, Aya, I know this is way too basic for you, Draco, and maybe you too, Luna, but... "'Practice is always good,' Draco said practically.' "'and Luna bounced excitedly in place. "'No, it's so fun!' Luna exclaimed. "'It's more like a game of reflexes. "'It's like muggles.' "'She looked to Draco quizzically, "'and he supplied the word he had learned "'from watching muggle films with Mr Granger. "'Quick draw,' he said, "'and Harry nodded, "'explaining the concept for those listening. "'Luna's wicked quick, actually.' you sure you're not letting her win?' "'Harry said,' "'in his ear, too softly for Luna to hear. "'No, I'm not,' Draco laughed. "'My reflex is a shit, Harry, especially compared to yours.' "'Let's see it, then,' Ron called. "'Draco versus Luna. Expelliarmus quick-draw. "'Most of the others gathered around. "'Fred and George seemed to be trying to get together some betting quickly, "'but no one wanted to bet against Draco.' Draco and Luna both put their wands back in their robe pockets, then grinned at each other. OK, ready, set, go! Expelliarmus! Both Draco and Luna shouted, but Luna was just a second faster, and his wand came flying to her feet. She left it, and Draco bowed respectfully to her before picking it up himself. There were gasps and cheers, especially from the Ravenclaws. The high-five Luna gave Cho Chang's friend seemed to strike her as an insult. But Luna was blissfully unaware of the grimacing that followed the action, already turning to Hermione in glee. "'Did you see that?' "'That was so cool,' Neville said with eyes like saucers. Harry led the applause for Luna, before noticing that the time was already ten past nine. He sent the enthusiastic group away, setting next Wednesday night for the second meeting— and then began to use the marauder's map to send the others out in small groups by house, careful not to get anyone caught. When the only people who remained were him and the trio, Ron began to say goodbye to Draco, only for Hermione to elbow him in the ribs. Ron and I will be fine going back on our own. Draco, you had something to talk to Harry about, didn't you? The only possible answer to that was agreement. See, you can take Draco down to the dungeons in your cloak after. "'Hermione said reasonably, appealing to Harry's saviour side. "'It's too far for him. He'd definitely get caught otherwise.' "'She took Ron out with her.' "'She's right. I'll take you,' Harry said, fidgeting where he stood, "'and Draco tried not to stare at the room of requirement around them, "'far more like he remembered with it almost empty. "'At least the state of the books strewn all over the room "'made it clear there had been people here in numbers.' Activity other than a mission for Voldemort, or the demise of Slytherin's best beater. So, what did you want to talk to me about? Harry looked both scared and hopeful. (coughs) I'm not sure if Hermione's talked to you about it, Draco said warily, and then sat on one of the pillows, gesturing Harry over. Harry sat obediently, and Draco stared at the sight of their legs stretched out beside each other's. She's got more up her sleeve than just this little army, you know. No, Harry said, adjusting his glasses before regarding Draco with the utmost attention. She's told me about this, Draco said, reaching out and poking at Harry's scar. And this, he said, tapping his forehead. And this, he said, making evil swooping claw hands and hissing noises with his tongue. Harry seemed to follow along at the start and get lost, though he laughed at Draco's snake impression. "'Basically, she told me you have the Dark Lord in your head, and she wants me to teach you occlumency to get him out, so if you want, I'm down for that.' "'Okay,' Harry said slowly. "'Is this like the dueling lessons last year?' "'Kind of,' Draco said, grimacing. "'I don't think you're going to enjoy them so much.' Hermione said, "Occlumency is a magical thought control shielding thing, keeping intrusion and meddling out of your head." Harry said tentatively, and Draco explained the rest of it. Harry looked dubious by the time he finished. So, how would I learn that? Harry asked. How would we practice? Would you, would you have to try and get into my head? You could see what I was thinking. It's not thoughts. It's more like. "'Memories and feelings, hopefully no more than necessary,' Draco said, "'trying to ignore the way Harry was flushing. "'The idea is for you to try and build up strong shields around your mind "'so you can repel any intruders, me or the Dark Lord. "'It's a lot of meditation and visualization. "'That sounds awful,' Harry sighed. "'So you can do this. How did you learn?' Draco couldn't exactly say. Aunt Bella is a hell of a teacher. Pain is a powerful motivator. He was going to have to emulate her example with Harry, without the negative reinforcement that had made her teaching so effective. In short, he didn't have much faith in how this was going to go. I had lessons a long time ago, and no, I'm not telling you who. Harry opened his mouth to protest. And Draco rolled his eyes. Just add that to the list of all the other things I haven't told you, all right? Harry agreed, reluctant at first, but then he seemed to realise it meant extra time alone with Draco, and that perked him right up. They set Monday nights for their occlumency lessons, just like they had dueling ones on Mondays last year. Something to look forward to, even with the weekend over, Harry said, and Draco heaved a sigh. Trust me, you're not going to be looking forward to this for long. Harry bit his lip, eyes sparkling at Draco with an unusual bit of impishness. Whatever you say, you're the boss, Professor Malfoy. Draco wished he could shove off this responsibility on somebody, anybody else. But the only other real occlumens he knew at Hogwarts was Severus, and the idea of him giving Harry occlumency lessons seemed likely to end in nothing but bloodshed. So he went through his occlumency notebook. It proved to be more theory than anything useful, except some recollections of lessons and sayings he'd copied down from Aunt Bella. It was surreal, in a way few things were now, having had years to get used to the red line desperately struggling to remember everything Aunt Bella had taught him in order to help Harry Potter with it. He made a lesson plan up, at least by the next Monday at eight, though it was without a sheet like the dueling lessons, nor did he show any of it to Harry. "'Trust me,' Draco said, "'this is harder than any spell I taught you in dueling. "'Maybe all of them together.' He didn't know if Harry's natural ability with magic could extend to magical mental discipline. He performed well in classes, but that was more raw talent than academic focus. Draco would have to hope Harry would be better at this than he feared. If not, they could be spending a lot of Monday nights together. "'Okay,' Draco said, as they paced in front of the statue for the Room of Requirement.' I'm going to need a small room, somewhere different from the room for D.A. Maybe a fireplace, comfortable chairs, not too much decoration, somewhere easy to focus. Draco concentrated, and when the door opened, the room was very much as he had described. It was less than half the size even of the dueling room, with a fireplace towering all the way to the ceiling that looked very much with its black snake designs like Severus's original one pre-Liquid fiend fire, Its fires were green like that charmed one, the floors and walls all dark green and bronze, with a large black rug before the fire. The only decoration was a chandelier hanging from the high ceiling, picking up some of the emerald firelight. In front of it, facing each other closely, were two tall-backed, plush armchairs, one green and one red. Draco walked in and took the green one scooting it back from the red one a little further. Save the colour, it reminded him of a cross between Severus's chambers and the place in the manor where he had used to practice with Aunt Bella. Your room conjuring is so cool, Harry said wide-eyed, and Draco pointed to the red chair. Harry sat down obligingly, looking more impressed by the intimate setting than the task at hand. Draco had his lesson plans stored in his head, having spent far more time thinking about this than paying attention in any of his classes today. Not great for Arithmancy and ancient runes, which he was taking for the first time. But what was ever as interesting as Harry Potter? Get comfortable, Draco advised him. All the work is going to be in your mind. Draco was hardly comfortable. It was an odd kind of prolonged whiplash in his mood. The reminder of his lessons with Aunt Bella, and all the times the Cruciatus curse had awaited his failures, mixed with the feeling it put deeper in his chest, to have the excuse to stare this close at Harry's lovely face swam over by the flickering emerald brilliance of the fire. Harry sagged back in his crimson chair and followed Draco's example, kicking off his shoes before they began. Okay, said Draco. So, there are ways this is similar to resisting the Imperious curse, which you're good at. It does involve pushing someone else's magic out of you, and having raw magical strength and strength of will can help with that. But it's also about mental calm. You can use emotions to get out from under the Imperious. The feeling of that is like defiance, right, or anger. Same as you can use other emotions to power a Patronus. But this is the opposite. You have to be able to shut yourself down entirely. Your mind has to stop being your mind. It has to be a weapon. A weapon isn't attacked. A weapon does the attacking. Draco found himself repeating Aunt Bella's first explanation to him, almost word for word. He remembered her producing a slender, sharp obsidian dagger then, which glittered in the firelight. As it happened, he had a dagger of his own. He pulled out the long, pale moonstone dagger that Periander had left him and held it up in the firelight like she had. "'Look at this. This is a weapon, right?' Harry nodded, though the question seemed obvious. "'It was made to cut. Sometimes it can be sharper or duller, but that doesn't change its nature. A knife is a knife.' "'It cuts things. It doesn't get cut. "'Your mind penetrates other minds it isn't broken into. "'If you try stabbing a knife,' Draco explained, "'grabbing Harry's hand and pressing his index finger, "'like another knife, to the flat of the blade.' All you come up with is flat metal. There's only a surface, like the front wall of a castle that can never be besieged because it's a façade. There's nothing behind. Most powerful magic starts with visualisation, and that's where occlumency starts. You have to turn your mind into a blade, and a blade doesn't have feelings— "'The person who wields it can stab with emotion, "'but the knife won't feel a thing, "'no matter where it goes or what it does. "'It serves its purpose, that's all. "'Its only job is to stay sharp.' "'So be a blade, or be cut,' he mouthed, "'finishing Aunt Bella's words in his own head. "'Um,' Harry said, "'tentatively raising a hand, and Draco rolled his eyes.' "'You don't need to raise your hand, Harry. "'We're literally the only two people in here.' "'Sorry,' Harry said, and then forced a cheeky grin. "'Just don't want to interrupt you if you're not done talking, Professor Malfoy. "'I want to be a good student for you.' "'Well,' Draco said dryly, "'what does the teacher's pet have to ask Professor Malfoy?' Harry looked kind of sheepish. Ah, uh, that all sounds like very deep in everything, but what does it actually mean I'm supposed to do? Is there a spell I can cast or something? No, I'll be the one casting the spell, Draco told him. Legilimens, trying to get inside your mind, and you'll be trying to get me out again. People can do legilimency. That's the name for the mental intrusion part, as opposed to the shielding against it. "'without casting a spell sometimes, if they're strong, or they don't want to go too deep. "'Sometimes you won't even know your mind's been penetrated, "'so will practice use trying to stop me. "'But what if I want to do the penetrating?' "'Harry blurted, and then turned beet-red and fell completely silent. "'Draco stared at him in stunned silence himself, "'trying to pretend he couldn't hear the implications, then burst out laughing.' "'leaning forward and clutching onto Harry's knees "'to brace himself as his shoulders shook. "'Bloody hell, Harry, your mind. "'I'm almost afraid to go in now. "'I'm sorry, teacher's pet, "'but when it comes to occlumency, "'I'm the only one doing any penetrating.' "'Okay, yeah, sorry,' Harry muttered "'and buried his face in his hands.' You're not going to be able to do that, Draco laughed. Eye contact makes this work better, and I'm obviously not as powerful a Legilimens as the Dark Lord, so we'll need me as strong as we can get to approximate anything like he can do to you, even from a long distance. Are you going to be in my dreams? Harry blurted, I have dreams with him. If you get in my mind, well, I have dreams of you all the time now too. Draco fought the urge to ask. You don't even dream of me already? Instead, Draco kept his hands on Harry's knees and just stared deeply into his eyes. No reason you should. Okay, focus and try and imagine your mind as a knife. It helps you organise your memories and thoughts and emotions into separate categories, or past, present and future. Imagination would go with future. You can do a mind palace if you want. "'A what?' Harry asked, and Draco patiently explained. "'Fold them?' Draco instructed after. "'Fold everything into the facets of the knife. "'That's how it works, you know. "'Blacksmithing, at least in the old muggle style. "'Folding metal over and over until it has the density to cut and stab through something.' "'He held up the dagger, and Harry stared at it in fascination. "'What is that dagger?' Is it magic? Where did you get it? What are all those stones? Harry? Draco sighed. The point of this exercise is focus. Right, Harry yelped. Visualisation. My mind is folding into a knife blade. Right. Draco gave him as long as he needed, until he claimed he was successfully imagining his mind as a knife. You have to be imagining it's a knife from inside the knife, though. Draco advised, not outside looking at the knife. You know what a knife looks like, yes, but you're at a location on it, or just comprising all of it. A knife looking out at the fire, he said, turning it to show off the green reflections in his hand. The moonstone seemed to pulse into white opals in the light. If you have a consciousness separate from your visualisation, that's still a presence that can be cut into. Okay, Harry said, taking a deep breath. I'm ready. When you feel me, try to intrude, Draco instructed. Keep imagining your mind as the dagger, with my attempt bouncing off the surface. Or try to wield the dagger against me, pushing back to stab at the intruder and drive them out. All right.' Harry nodded. Legilimens, Draco cast, and images immediately began to rush through his own head as he plunged deep into what felt like a pure golden mass of power. But the visions that lived in the marrow of that gold structure, the backbones of its construction, like nerve endings a touch triggered and sent electricity all through the web of membranes, those were anything but moments of power. He saw out of Harry's eyes when he was very small, watching a similarly smaller version of that round-faced blonde boy from his muggle family, the name Dudley attached to that sneering superior face riding some bright red vehicle. The sight of it filled Harry with jealousy, with a rejection that Draco could taste so thick on his tongue it was like bile corroding it. The bicycle turned to a dog a hideous great dog with the name Ripper attached, which was soon moving faster than the bicycle, chasing Harry when he was taller along suburban grass until Harry ran into a tree and was scrambling up out of the way to the sound of his whole family's derisive laughter, the repulsive wet animal smell of the dog's saliva hanging in the air as Ripper panted up the tree after Harry, eager to bite onto what even the dog could tell was the unwanted one of the family. With the memories coming in faster flashes, Draco felt a pair of fingers, smaller and stubbier, gripping into the edge of a stool with the entire great hall before Harry watching, blocked off by the dark felt of the sorting hat over his own vision. Draco could hear Harry's voice in his own head chanting, Not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? said the voice of the hat. Are you sure? You could be great, you know. It's all here in your head, and Slytherin will help you on the way to greatness. Expecto Patronum! Harry yelled, standing alone at the entrance to Slytherin House, while screams of terror resounded from inside. Hermione was leading out a string of first-years in emerald green pyjamas, half of them crying or swaying on their feet up towards the stairs out of the dungeon. "'Harry, are you all right?' Hermione was calling, "'her face red from running so much. "'Then she stopped to stare, "'her face going slack with awe for a moment, "'staring at the shape of the bright light from the end of Harry's wand, "'which went from pure silver-blue radiance to a shape like a deer, "'antlers forming before an entire body was forged out of light. "'Then the stag was charging at the dementors in righteous fury,' "'a brilliant light still flanking it "'as Hermione began to lead the procession of Slytherins "'out of harm's way again. "'More Dementors streaming out of the common room "'after the fleeing students. "'But when they tried to follow, "'Harry was there with his Patronus, "'wand raised high in defiance "'of all of the Dementors seeping cold, "'and hundreds of leering dark forms "'fled in the face of the stag. "'Guess I'm ready to walk past the Dementors now in style.' Draco saw himself drawling, with Harry's fingers tracing through Draco's hair and not wanting to leave. But Draco looked different in Harry's eyes than he would have imagined himself, almost like an angel. Harry didn't want to stop touching that halo of white gold hair, fine and feathery as angel wings, as bright and sleek as pure light under his fingers. You kind of look the opposite of a Dementor, Harry said, with immediate mortification hitting him. "'wondering why he had said that. "'When Draco was, Draco would think. "'When Harry didn't, he couldn't, and Draco would never. "'Draco cried out, rearing backwards as a rush of wind "'pushed his heavy armchair back several inches, "'breaking the eye contact and forcing him out of Harry's mind. "'Oh, God,' Harry said, grasping at his head. "'Oh, God, what did you see?' "'Flashes!' Draco said, forcing himself to breathe. "'Flashes of your memories, Harry. That's all now. Calm down and try and focus. "'I think we're going to be working on this for a very long time.' "'It turned out, as Draco had feared, that Harry was far better at dueling than occlumency. "'All his speed and reflexes did nothing for him, nor even his raw power.' It was hard to conceive just how Harry's mind could be so emotional each time he pressed inside it. Though Harry sometimes muttered things about Draco making it worse, saying it was just impossible to focus around Draco, Draco called that a weak excuse and kept on pushing. Occlumency lessons seemed lacklustre to him without punishments in truth. Draco wondered if they would be progressing more if he had been replicating Aunt Bella to a T, but that wasn't an option. So they maintained a small pace of improvement, if any. Harry was turning out better at bursts of uncontrolled magic to get Draco out than doing it mentally himself, and the Dark Lord was not going to be present for those physical bits of magic, at least for the most part nor was he likely to strike when Harry had any of the awareness needed to explode in retaliation, coming instead when he was unawares or asleep. D.A. was more successful in comparison, with Harry visibly growing into his role as a defence teacher. He was already better than any they'd had but Remus, and Harry had Remus's example to remember, as they met once a week on various days to learn more defence spells and Mione had gotten them the DA coins with the protean charm on them to signal meetings. Draco took and used his without protest, trying and mainly succeeding at not thinking of how he'd used the charm himself with an imperious Madame Rosmerta. Generally he was content taking a backseed role, hoping to blend in so much he could eventually just stop coming, and the only person he would have noticed he was gone was his usual partner Luna, which would mean Neville would finally have a partner. Luna was the first one of their partnership to bail, though, skipping a meeting near the end of October with the excuse she wasn't feeling well. Draco harangued her about it, until Hermione pulled him aside into the stacks and hissed that Luna was having terrible menstrual cramps, at which Draco apologised and quickly left it alone. It meant that Draco and Neville were paired up, and, as it so happened, today they were to be learning the reductal curse. Great, at least it would likely be a speedy death. The opposite problem was in play, though, as he and Neville floated objects before each other. Draco would cleanly reduce his to smithereens, only for the one Draco floated Neville to just hang there in infinite suspension, occasionally twisting or letting out a little smoke. Draco forced Neville through a very minute, centimetre-by-centimetre practice of the form of the wand motion, then the pronunciation of the incantation— and then on to ways to safely increase the amount of magical power he was putting behind a spell. But Draco concluded by the end of the frustrating meeting that the issue was not magical, but mental. I probably just scare you too much, Neville. You'll do fine next time if you're paired with Luna, Draco told him as they headed towards the exit. They had to mill around, waiting for Hermione with the marauder's map to direct them out in turn. But being paired with Lunaskasm even more. Neville said softly, and Draco had to pretend he hadn't heard that. "'Are you scared of hurting me?' Draco asked sceptically. "'Or scared of what I'll do in retaliation with it if you hurt me. "'Or, just like, I don't know, scared of explosions. "'Because you are scared, Neville.' "'That much I can tell. "'I haven't spent four years watching you cringe away "'from Professor Snape in potions class, "'not to know what it looks like when you're afraid.' "'I don't know!' Neville exclaimed, "'looking frustrated to the point of tears. "'I don't know, I just... "'Hermione, can I please just go?' "'Oh, no, you don't!' "'Neville drawled and hauled Neville back in by his collar. "'Harry!' he called. And Harry looked sulky, but obeyed when Draco asked for him to leave them there and leave him his cloak. Why are we staying in your conjured room? Neville asked nervously. Are you going to conjure something to punish me because I can't do reducto? Or for always being so scared when I'm supposed to be a Gryffindor? We're going to have a conversation, Draco said. And Neville stared in incomprehension. A discussion, man to man. We're going to sit down and talk about... "'Feelings, Neville Longbottom.' "'Neville stared at him suspiciously. "'I feel like you're just saying that,' he said slowly. then you're just going to curse me. "'That would make more sense.' "'And yet,' Draco said languidly, "'here I am,' "'and sat himself on one of the cushions, "'pulling a pile against the wall for them to sit on together "'like he sometimes did with Harry. "'It was far more relaxing with Neville.' "'The hyper-awareness of the location of every one of his limbs was missing. "'Sit here waiting for you to talk to me. "'Come, young Gryffindor, unburden yourself to Professor Malfoy.' "'Neville sat down, though he looked relieved "'when the pillows did nothing to him for sitting on them, "'as if not being cursed was not a right but a privilege "'when it came to hanging out with Draco Malfoy. "'Which was rich.' given that Neville had gotten stink sap in Draco's hair and suffered no less than a mild tongue lashing. Really, Draco should have, at the very least, removed at least one of Neville's eyeballs from their sockets, temporarily, for such an offence. What do you want me to say? Neville asked. That curse is scary. I'm worried I'll hurt someone, and you told me once you were sure I belonged in Gryffindor, that it would just take time, but I'm still so scared of everything, I'm sorry I don't even know why I'm in Gryffindor. "'Did the hat not tell you why?' Draco asked curiously. "'You almost had a hat stall, didn't you? "'You and Hermione both took a while, and, hey, mine took way longer, so no judgment here. "'What was it between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff? "'How did it end up giving you Gryffindor?' "'What was yours between?' "'Never asked stubbornly. Tell me fast.' "'Draco sighed. "'You really want to know?' "'Nothing.' It said I wasn't suited to any of the houses. That's why it took so long. Because the hat didn't think I was good enough for any of them. No way. Neville breathed. But you're so good at magic. How did you end up in Slytherin then, just because your family had been in it? Did the hat put you in there? No. I just kept asking it and asking it for Slytherin, and eventually it gave in. That was what it was like for me. Neville admitted. I've told everyone... It took so long because it wanted Gryffindor, and I kept asking for Hufflepuff, but please don't tell anyone it was the other way round. The hat wanted Hufflepuff more, I think. It was leaning that way, but I kept insisting Gryffindor because my parents had been in Gryffindor. His voice cracked, and he stared down at his hands. I've thought so many times I've made a mistake, that I would have fit in better in Hufflepuff, but I wanted to be like my parents. Draco's throat went tight. Frank and Alice Longbottom, he said. "'compelled despite himself to offer some small show of respect. "'They were a great witch and wizard, great auras.' "'Neville shot him a glance. "'Do you, you? Oh, no, you you know what happened to them, don't you?' "'he said, voice breaking again, and first his hands began to shake, "'then his shoulders. draco had had no idea Neville would be this sensitive about his parents. "'It just made him feel worse.' as if Draco had personally been the one to take from them. "'I do, Neville. I'm sorry. You know who my family is. I knew before I ever met you, but I've never said anything to anyone, not even my cousin.' "'Please don't,' Neville said, looking up suddenly with tears in his eyes. "'Please don't tell Luna or anyone. I, I don't want people to know. I mean—' I'm proud of them, but they're just stuck in St. Mungo's. They've been there my whole life. They're they're alive, but they're just not there. I visit them every Christmas and summer. Tears were streaming down his face. I shouldn't have kept asking to be a Gryffindor, but I guess I just thought that somehow, someday, if, if they knew I was a Gryffindor like them, they'd be proud of me. Neville buried his face in his hands. A miserable, guilty impulse made Draco reach out and rub Neville's back as comforting as a Malfoy could ever be. "'The Slytherins know,' Draco said suddenly, remembering. He knew it would make it worse, but he had to tell Neville. He should have when it happened, but he'd been too wrapped up in his own self-pity. "'All the Slytherins in my year know,' Neville's gaze lifted up in alarm. "'Did you tell them?' No, Draco said grimly, the fake Mad-Eye Moody did. Last year in defence class, just the Slytherins in my year. He hastened to add as if that made it any better. But they won't talk about it. I made them promise not to. Neville looked so unjustifiably grateful it was agony to behold. Thank you, Draco. Can't believe you would do that for me. It all came out then. "'as Draco's self-preservation instincts were superseded by something deeper. "'He reached into his pocket, pulled out the talon wand and laid it before him. "'No, Neville, don't think I'm that selfless. "'I did it for myself. "'Crouch was talking about it because "'this is the wand that did it to your parents.' "'Neville's face took a long time to process the information "'as he tried to wipe tears away to look properly.' Once he did, he looked no more comprehending. No, isn't that your wand, Draco? It's got that bent shape no one else has. It's definitely yours. Neville, Draco said, digging his nails into his palms and forcing out the words. That wand was in my family. I used it before I ever got a wand of my own, and it chose me. It's the only wand that works for me. I don't have a choice. It's that or be a squib. "'Neville, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is my wand. I'm sorry that it's the wand that—' "'What are you talking about?' "'The wand I use was my aunt's. Draco admitted. "'Bellatrix Lestrange.' And then he could see Neville understood from the way he jerked back. Not necessarily from Draco, but the wand itself, as if something dark and horrible had suddenly hissed into the room, a malevolent ghost that would have its due. Neville stared down at the Talon wand in mute horror for some time. Finally, he wiped his eyes again, clearing his throat. "'You're... you're sure, Draco? You wouldn't make something like this up, why would you? That's... that's really... that's the one that... that tortured my parents until they... they... She did it with the other Death Eaters,' Draco said wearily. "'Her husband? His brother? Barty Crouch, Jr. Aunt Bella was the ringleader, though, by all accounts, yeah?' She had a cruciatus on her like. Like your insides have decided they don't want to live there anymore. Like no one else. And that was the wand, Neville said, staring at it like he wanted to touch it but was afraid to. And honestly, Draco wasn't sure it would be the best idea for anyone involved. That's the one that cast Crucio over and over on my mother and father. Yeah, Draco said, and took the plunge. He felt light-headed as he spoke the words, at their heedlessness of the future, but he meant them. He used to think he'd sooner lose Hermione or Severus than the Talon Wand, but that had been before he had accomplished what he'd been sent back in the past to do. He had gotten Sirius free, and everything after that was just a bonus. He wasn't necessary anymore, and whatever happened, happened. "'Try the reductor curse on that, Neville. "'I'm serious. "'If you want to, cast reductor "'and see if you can turn that wand to dust.' "'What are you talking about?' "'Neville gasped, "'scooting away further on the pillows, "'and this time it did seem to be away from Draco as well. "'I mean,' Draco said with a rueful smile. "'It's evil, isn't it? "'It's a powerful wand. "'And that's my power, Neville. "'That's why I'm so good at magic.' Like you said. And that's why the hat still didn't think I belong anywhere, because it's a stolen power and an evil one, the most evil one under the sun, so if you want to destroy it for what it was used for, you should. You'd be a squib. Neville said disbelievingly, Merlin, Draco, put your wand away. He wasn't crying anymore. He looked more worried about Draco than himself. Stop talking nonsense. I would never do that to you. Ones are wands, aren't they? "'It's who wills them that matters.' Draco obeyed, feeling slightly numb, before the feel of that familiar bent shape settling into place where it belonged sent a bone-deep wave of relief through him. He stroked his fingers over the bend in it, inside his pocket, lying to it, telling it, "'I'm sorry. I didn't really mean it. "'I knew he wouldn't. I wouldn't have let him anyway.' "'I can understand, if you don't want to be friends now.' I didn't think we were friends before, Neville said awkwardly, and then touched Draco's arm with real concern in his eyes. But I want to be. And Draco, come on, don't you care what happens to you? You need a wand. Maybe I don't, Draco admitted. Care what happens to me? Now he was the one staring at his hands and avoiding Neville's gaze. Neville laughed nervously before seeming to realise Draco meant it. Then... In an unexpected shock of warmth, Draco felt Neville's arm go around his shoulder. You should, said Neville softly. We need you, you know. I need you. All of us do. Harry, most of all. Because I have this fucking wand! Draco snapped, looking up, glaring. But his temper didn't make the skittish Neville pull back for once. No, Neville said with a very Gryffindorish faith in his eyes. Because you're the one who makes us feel brave at Draco cast. "'As usual, he was greeted by a chorus of groans, "'but Draco had to admire the effect of the golden grid across the night air, "'making him grateful for the easy application their late-night practices gave it. "'Not to mention the increased secrecy, "'but Draco had cast a caterwauling charm as always in the distance, "'to make anyone coming within an eyeshot of their preparations. "'With the match tomorrow afternoon it was all the more vital.' Once they were finished running the plays and finished their scrimmage with Blaze, flown up to play a fourth chaser and even up the numbers, Draco called them all over with his customary phrase, "'Hey, King Snakes!' He waited for Blaze, who could honestly be considered their tactical advisor or assistant manager, to fly over to join them. "'Okay,' Draco said with preamble. "'I'm not going to give some big speech.' That's for tomorrow, and I can promise you, Kingsnakes, it will be one for the history books, but we're all tired and hungry, which is why, on cue, the gold grid disappeared, to be replaced by a bright, cheery pink light from below. I'll let Dobby do the talking. Hey, Dobby! Vince and Greg cheered without reservation. The others were still dubious about having an elf attend so many of their practices, at first distrusting his secrecy, and then just admitting they found it demeaning and a bit creepy. But when Dobby had started bringing them all extra snacks for strength-building and musculature development, Vince and Greg had come quickly over to thinking him one of their very favourite people. What was really astonishing this time was that Dobby wasn't alone in hauling a table and chairs for them. One elf was apparating in furniture with him, while a smaller elf was snapping her fingers over and over, making the large pomegranates they ate for the antioxidants appear in their glorious powdered sugar-covered forms on the waiting plates. Draco didn't recognise the elves with Dobby, though they looked vaguely familiar, but Pansy seemed to, approaching the three elves slowly, while the others hustled to their places to protect their pomegranates from Vince and Greg, a custom learned out of dire necessity. Blaze nobly protected his girlfriend's pomegranate for her, as he often had to even with her there. Pansy was tired to the bone after practice. She usually was. She and Astoria had lacked much of the physical conditioning needed to play chaser this often, and she was taking longer than Astoria to get into shape. But her exhaustion didn't keep her from breathing out in disbelief. "'Wookie! Nissy, Mistress Pansy!' Nissy exclaimed before clamping a hand over her mouth and looking bashful. Wookie took her hand and they solemnly bowed together, saying, Mistress Pansy, Mistress Pansy, in reverent tones that got the rest of the team's attention. With a wave, Wookiee indicated a pile of candied mango beside the pomegranate on Pansy's plate. We have been at Hogwarts for many years, Mistress, since the Parkinson family freed us. From Pansy's disconcerted face, It seemed that at her tender age her family had kept that unpleasant business from her. we have not bothered you, Mistress. Only made sure the menu would have Mistress's favourite sometimes. But when Dobby told us that Mistress Pansy had a Quidditch match tomorrow, we wanted to help. We cannot believe Mistress Pansy is playing for Slytherin.' "'We want you to be winning, Mistress Pansy,' Nissy said anxiously. "'Dobby said that no one is believing a Slytherin team with girls can win. So Nissy wants Mistress Pansy to prove them wrong.' Nissy wants that very, 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 very much.' "'In between blinking at all the times Nissy had said very, "'Blaze leaned over and hissed. "'Does anyone know what a floating blood-volcano is?' "'Draco did, albeit from the Blue Loop. "'It was far more benign than it sounded. "'Pansy had got in her kitchen to make them some, "'after Draco flewed over for supper with her parents one summer. "'But he feigned ignorance with the rest.' and then feigned surprise as Nissy snapped her fingers and made the floating blood volcano appear in the air above them. It was an eruption, eternally frozen in the instant of happening by house elf magic, a kind of sugared time travel. It was a core of a red gummy centre shaped like a heart. Not a cartoon heart, but a biological heart with ventricles, expelling a stream of blood-red liquid that was actually thick, syrupy and cherry-flavoured. Nissi was happy to float it around to let all the Slytherins have licks at the strands of cherry hovering in the air, which grew more delicious as the night air around them made it progressively colder. Draco had to huffily remind them to eat their pomegranates as well. "'You just want the seeds for your rituals,' Blaze drawled, as Draco began to pick out the seeds from the fruits that clearly weren't going to get eaten like pansies. "'We've all seen you with your nose stuck in that demon goddess book,' Theo said." Draco shot a frantic glance over at Dobby, making Theo laugh. What, Draco? You're the one who said we can trust him not to spill all our team secrets. Now you're worried he'll tell your Gryffindor friends about your secret blood magic. For your information, Draco informed them haughtily. "'I do trust Dobby. "'I just don't want to give him the burden of not telling things to Harry Potter. "'It makes him sad. "'And for the record, my Gryffindor friends know about my secret blood magic. "'Well, I mean, some of them do.' "'Theo shot him a sharp glance. "'You've got a couple of them on that team now, Draco. "'You're going to have to promise us you won't go easy on them. "'I'm less worried about Dobby than you.' "'Don't worry.' Draco vowed, tomorrow I'll show them no mercy. Even Harry Potter? Theo asked carefully, and without hesitation, Draco nodded. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Talon Brand, part five of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget.